Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us, and we particularly thank you for your word to us through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Please speak to us. Thank you for what you wrote to them. Please help us uh, know you better and follow you more faithfully um, as we hear your word. Uh, In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit down. Is Britain a Christian nation? That's a question that's been in the news for the last fortnight. Uh, David Cameron kicked it off by saying that Britain is a Christian nation. Then uh, Richard Dawkins and 49 other leading atheists wrote to various newspapers saying, uh, don't be so silly and offensive, Britain isn't a Christian nation. Uh, and other people have joined in the debate, leaders of other religions. Uh, most recently, uh, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, sorry, I haven't got a photo of him, um, he uh, actually gave a fairly um, sensible uh, response that it depends. Um, we can see that the history and culture and institutions of this country have been greatly uh, influenced by Christianity. Uh, but uh, Rowan Williams says that you know, when, when you look around in terms of church commitment, church attendance, it, Richard Dawkins does have a point. Christianity is a minority thing in, in practice uh, in this country today. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not just that. There's, um, yeah, uh, in the middle of town, there's, uh, there's a spiritualist church that gets uh, huge uh, attendance. Uh, if you look in our newspapers... Uh, both local and national, they devote more time to horoscopes than to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Um, Whilst other religions, uh, such as Buddhism and Islam, uh, are nowhere near as uh, as large uh, as Christianity in this country, what I think is much more common is a a sort of pick-and-mix approach to to spirituality. So um, there's the the Buddhist temple uh, up near Ulverston, uh, and I suspect there were very few kind of genuine committed Buddhists um, in this area. But I think there were a lot of people who will you know, go along to uh, do a bit of meditation at the Buddhist center, then, uh, then maybe do a bit of Kabbalah on another night, this kind of uh, Jewish mysticism that's quite popular, and uh, you know, may, maybe attend the odd church service as well. But I will sort of pick and choose my own uh, spirituality from all the different religions, um, or there's, there's the sort of aggressive atheism, uh, exemplified by Dawkins, that, um, that is more and more vocal today. So I think it's easy for us to feel that Britain is not uh, a Christian nation. Well, if Britain isn't a Christian nation, um, ancient Ephesus and the surrounding area was definitely not uh, a Christian nation. Uh, city or, or province. You, know, you, can, you can argue it both ways, Britain, but Ephesus was not a Christian city or a Christian province. Ephesus, um, so this is where, where Paul wrote, Ephesus was a big city uh, on the coast of what is now Turkey, uh, in the middle of one of the richest provinces of the Roman Empire, and Ephesus uh, was the home of the temple of Artemis. Uh, that's uh, There's an artist's reconstruction of what it would have looked like on the left. Those are some of the remaining ruins on the right. 
There were also, uh, you can see some bits of it in the British Museum in London. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was up there with, uh, with the pyramids uh, as one of the seven great things in the ancient world. All the other temples of Artemis all over the Mediterranean, they looked to the temple in Ephesus as their kind of headquarters. Uh, so it was a big, big religious center for the worship of Artemis, a pagan fertility goddess. Uh, it wasn't just big religion, it was big business as well. Uh, Luke records in Acts that when Paul went to uh, Ephesus and he started preaching about Jesus, um, the local silversmiths objected because they made their living by selling little models of the temple. And it seemed that Paul's preaching was putting them out of business. So they, they obviously depended on the temple for their livelihood. The temple of Artemis, it, it was you know, in the same way that the, um, the shipyard really dominates the economy of Barrow. And if the shipyard suffers, then everybody suffers economically. Uh, the temple of Artemis was like that for Ephesus. It was the big economic as well as religious center of Ephesus. But it wasn't just about Artemis worship. There was all sorts of magic and superstition going on. Um, again, Luke records in Acts that when Paul uh, started preaching, many of those who had practiced magic um, brought their books together and burnt them in public. They added up the price of the books and the total came to 50,000 silver coins. Um, 50,000 silver coins, roughly the equivalent of a quarter of a million pounds today. That's a huge amount of books or you can scrolls as it would have been then uh, to be burnt. And, and when we say magic scrolls, this isn't conjuring tricks, how to pull a rabbit out of a hat. This is how to curse your neighbor. Really kind of nasty black magic was common uh, all over uh, the ancient world. This is the sort of situation that people in Ephesus, they were living uh, living right in the middle of that. So um, these, um, these people who got Paul's letter, um, Paul was writing from Rome around AD 61 or 62. Um, you know, they were very much a minority. They had been pagan worshippers themselves only a few years before. And you know, they had every right to feel oppressed, to feel downcast. But that's not how Paul writes to them. Paul says, Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in our union with Christ, he has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Paul is really encouraging to these early believers in a difficult situation. He says, give thanks. Remember that God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He does say every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's not, uh, you know, he acknowledges that it doesn't always feel like that to us in the here and now. Um, we don't have all of these blessings physically at this moment, but God has blessed those who are in Christ with every spiritual blessing uh, in the heavenly world. And then he goes on to uh, list these blessings in the rest of the passage. It's it's quite dense. I don't have time to go through it all, but I want to. I wanted to try and um, get a bit of a flavour for it, so we know what sort of blessings he's talking about. 
Um, if, if you do have a Bible at the end of your pew, you might want to pick it up and have a read through with me. Um, it's on page 240 in the New Testament section uh, of this Bible, but I think they've got slightly different page numbers, so that might not work. Or maybe uh, when you get home, have a read of this passage in your own Bible at home, and you might want to I don't know, take one blessing a day and, and read about it and pray about it and think about it, because there's an awful lot in here, and I don't have time to do justice to it now. But just to give you a bit of a flavour for it, um, for in our verse 3, for in our union with Christ, he has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Uh, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ. So God has chosen his people so that we would be holy and without fault before him. Not that we were automatically holy and without fault beforehand. No, God chose us so that we would be holy and without fault. That is part of his plan to make his people holy and without fault. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ he would make us his sons. This was his pleasure and purpose. Uh, by saying his sons, that's not Paul being deliberately sexist, but whether we like it or not, in the ancient world, the son got a much bigger inheritance uh, than the daughter. But by using the word son to refer to everybody, it means that we are all full and equal inheritors uh, of what God has promised in Jesus Christ. Let us praise God for his glorious grace for the free gift he gave us in his dear son. Verse 6, verse 7, For by the sacrificial death of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. Freedom and forgiveness of sins is one of the great blessings uh, that is ours in Jesus Christ. Um, verse 9, God did, God did what he has purposed and made known to us the secret plan he had already decided to complete by means of Jesus Christ. God's told us what he's doing. God's plans, God, uh, God's purposes, they're, they're not a mystery. They're not unknown. God has, God's led us in uh, on what the plan is. We can know what he is up to, and what he is up to is bringing everything together in heaven and on earth with Christ as the head. And verse 13, you also became God's people when you heard the true message, the good news that brought you salvation. Um, so again, salvation and being part of God's people, being called by his name, and you believed in Christ and God put his stamp of ownership on you by giving you the Holy Spirit he had promised. God kind of marked his people as his, like, um, like the shepherds die their sheep so they know whose the sheep are. We have been marked by God as his, by his Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is the guarantee that we shall receive what God has promised his people. And this assures us that God will give complete freedom to those who are his. So Paul acknowledges that we don't feel like we've experienced all of these blessings right now, but there will be a time in the future when we have them all. And the, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of this, the guarantee, you know, like the deposit, the down payment. If God has given us so much already then we can trust him to give us the remainder in the future when the time is appropriate. Um, so yeah, we've got all of these amazing blessings. Can't do justice to them now. So uh, yeah, I would encourage you to reflect on these during the week and say your own prayers of thanks to God uh, for them. Uh, and remember that you know, however 
bad or, or depressing we may feel our situation here in Britain in the 21st century to be, uh, those Christians in Ephesus seemingly had it much worse from a political, social, economic point of view. And yet, Paul says, give thanks, rejoice. God has given you all these blessings. So let us give thanks and rejoice. Let us remember what really matters uh, compared, compared to Richard Dawkins. He doesn't matter. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing. He has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the, even, uh, of the blessings that are still more to come. Um, so, yeah, there are these amazing blessings. And I think underlying them all, a theme that comes up again and again in this passage, is that God has chosen his people. It's in verse 4. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ, so that we would be holy and without fault before him. It's in verse 5. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his sons, this was his pleasure and purpose. Uh, it's in verse 9. Um, God, the secret plan God had already decided to complete by means of Christ. And verse 11. All things are done according to God's plan and purpose. Uh, and God chose us to be his own people in union with Christ because of his own purpose, based on what he had decided from the very beginning. So God has a plan. And I think that's an encouragement to us. You know, God knows what he's doing. He's not just making it up as he goes along. So God knew that there would be a David Cameron. God knew there would be a Richard Dawkins. God knew that there would be Christians worshipping him in St. George's Church in Barrow, just as he knew there would be Christians worshipping him in Ephesus, even whilst there was this absolutely enormous temple of Artemis um, next door. Um, so God, God has a plan. Um, Things are not an accident, and we've already heard a little bit about how God's plan does have an end, a, a, a purpose in mind. God will make us holy and without fault. God will unite all things with Jesus Christ as the head. So I think that's a, a great encouragement to us. When we are tempted to feel uh, marginalized and powerless, actually if we are part of God's plan, we are not marginalized. Uh, or powerless. And God's plan uh, is based on being in Christ. Um, that came up time and again through the reading, in Christ, in union with Christ, by the sacrificial death of Christ. It was in our gospel reading uh, as well. Jesus said, he is the true vine. His disciples are the branches. Uh, if you remain in me, uh, says Jesus, you will bear fruit. And the fruit is, I think, similar to the blessings in the, uh, in the Ephesians passage. So the branches that remain in Christ, that are kind of rooted in Christ, bear the fruit. So similarly, if we are in Christ, um, then we get this, um, this fruit, uh, these blessings. Uh, but that's, that's reassuring, because I don't have the power to make myself holy or blameless. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and it doesn't work. I don't have the power to make myself become a part of God's family. I can't, I can't adopt myself into somebody else's family in a human sense, never mind a spiritual sense. So it's great that God has taken the initiative to adopt me into his family uh, himself. Um, so God has chosen us for his pleasure 
uh, and for his purposes and for his plan, not because we, not because there's anything particularly special about us, but in order to make us special, because he is a God of mercy and grace. So God, God has chosen us, um, and that's that's a great comfort and an encouragement uh, when times are hard. When Caroline was pregnant with Rachel, we went to an antenatal class uh, in the Royal London Hospital, and. Uh, there were lots of other people there. And I think I learned more about parents than about babies that day. It was fascinating watching the other parents and seeing what they did. And the, the couple we remember most, and it, it's actually rather sad, was uh, the, the father-to-be. He was, um, I think, probably in his 40s. He was quite a kind of big, physically big in terms of his presence. There was a uh, East End accent. Obviously a man used to power and influence um, probably some sort of self-made businessman. He was used to being in charge um, and being the boss. And he'd had children before by a previous wife or wife. So he knew uh, he knew what he knew about babies. He wasn't particularly interested. But the mother to be, his wife, was a young, blonde, slim, glamorous-looking Russian woman. Uh, she had never had a baby before. She was, was terrified, and she kept on... She asked more questions than any of the rest of us in that antenatal class. And she kept on asking questions like, when can I start exercising again after childbirth? When will I get back to my pre-pregnancy weight? Um, would I be better off having a cesarean or giving birth naturally uh, from the point of view of what would make me look better? She knew that her husband had already traded a previous wife in for a younger, more glamorous model. And she, she knew he'd only chosen her because of how she looked. He'd only chosen her because she was beautiful. So she was petrified of losing that beauty because, chances are, he traded her in for somebody younger and more attractive further down the line. But Ephesians 1 tells us that God has not chosen us because we're beautiful, God has chosen us to make us beautiful. Or you kind of in, in spiritual terms, God has not chosen us because we are holy without fault. God has chosen us in order to make us holy and without fault before him. So that's that's really reassuring. God is not going to ditch us for a younger and more attractive model. Because that's not what God is like. That's not why God has chosen us. God has chosen us to make us holy. Uh, and without fault. Um, and this talk of, of God choosing, uh, I think it is um, really reassuring. Uh, it doesn't kind of overrule uh, or rule out uh, the fact that there's a sense in which we choose God as well. The two, the two work together at the same. Um, I think this is really well expressed by, uh, by C.S. Lewis in one of his Narnia stories, um, the silver chair. Um, if you don't know anything about Narnia, then um, I've probably not got time to explain. You just need to know that Aslan is a lion who is kind of the equivalent of Jesus uh, in the Narnia stories. And this, at the beginning of the silver chair, Jill uh, is on her first visit to Narnia, meets Aslan, and Aslan starts talking about the task for which I called you here out of your own world. 
this puzzled Jill very much. Um, it's, it, the line's mistaking me for someone else. Um, because nobody called me, you know. Uh, it was we uh, who asked to come here. Yeah. Uh, but Aslan says to Jill, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you. So, yes, there is a sense in which we are to call on Jesus. We are to choose Jesus. But, whether now or further down the line, there will come a point where we will see that we could only call him because he first called us. Um, but, yeah, we do. There is, there is a response, a calling on Jesus to be made. And, and that's in this passage uh, in Ephesians. Yeah, we've talked a lot about being in Christ. But what does that mean? How do we get uh, in Christ? Uh, well, it's in verse 13. Um, and you also became God's people when you heard the true message, the good news that brought you salvation. You believed in Christ and God put his stamp of ownership on you by giving you the Holy Spirit he had promised. So Paul came to Ephesus. He started teaching the good news about Jesus Christ People heard it, and they believed in Christ, uh, and God welcomed them into his family and gave them the Holy Spirit. It, it really is uh, that simple. Uh, hear the good news about Jesus Christ, uh, and believe. Uh, and if by some chance you've got this far without doing that, can I urge you to do that today? Uh, if you have done that, um, then let us keep on doing that. Let us keep on trusting in Jesus Christ. Keep on listening to the good news, um, and let us be confident. Let us give thanks. Um, yeah, let in in, uh, in this in this situation uh, in our society today, where it's easy for us to feel marginalised, powerless, out of control. Let us remind ourselves what really matters. Let us remind ourselves what is really important. God has a plan. God has included us in that plan through his son, Jesus Christ. God has already given those who are in Christ every spiritual blessing. Um, I don't know if you heard how uh, so many of those blessings, they were described like, in the past tense. These are things God has already done for us. Let us give thanks for those. Uh, and let us also look forward with confidence um, to the blessings that God still has in store for us to pour out on us in the future. Let us uh, begin that process of giving thanks right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in your Son, Jesus Christ. Please help us to remember what is really and help us to, uh, to continually give thanks to you uh, for what you have done and give us confidence that you are working out your great plan through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.